When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And that's Dan Post Senning's voice back on the mic. Welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we tackle your etiquette questions on bike shares, skipping a wedding reception, no gifts but college contributions please for a first birthday, and doggy bag dilemmas. Plus feedback from Paris on restaurant time slots, your etiquette salute for the week, and a postscript segment on children's visiting cards from 1942 that still has some relevance to Today. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post Senning. And I am so glad to have you back, cuz. And I am so glad to be back. Oh my goodness. What a crazy month. I love so our yeah, what's uncle. what's been going on? I love our uncle. I love my father. I love everyone who, who wrote in and participated in the show the past three weeks, but I have missed you, cuz. I have missed you. I do not not want to run this company on my own. How did you like launching the 19th edition? <laughs> I missed having you to talk about all the good things that we put into it with. I mean, so much of that book was our, I mean, you, me, my mom, my dad, your mom too, collaborating on it. It felt so, don't get me wrong. I love promoting the 19th. The 19th is an awesome book, but I love getting to promote it with you. So I'm very excited to have you back. Well, thank you. It is <laughs> it is lovely to be here. It is um, comforting and just sort of delicious to be returning to a routine in my life. I was going to say, do you want to share with our listeners? How, how do you feel? I do. I, okay. I, I, I'm wondering, sort of two thoughts are popping Please. into my mind. One is the sort of, where's Waldo? Where's Dan Ben? Or <laughs> yeah. where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Yes. Where in the world? World is Dan Posen. We grew up in the 80s and 90s. We sure did. <laughs> but this is also, there's a bit of an etiquette conundrum at play here. Please. In that I'm trying to decide exactly how much to share. Yeah. I had a very difficult thing happen in my life. As those of you who listen to the show regularly know, I'm a new father. And about a month ago, my new daughter, Anisha, right after Pooj and I had been here on recording on this show, yeah. had a bit of a health scare. And she developed a condition that needed attention, and it took Pooja and I down to Boston Children's Hospital where we could see specialists who could really give her the care that she needed. And it was really scary. Yes. All, all across the board, it was scary. Um, just to alleviate any concern, how is Anisha doing now? She's doing really well. Okay, she is home. She is recovering. She's in treatment. She's safe and smiling and growing and doing all the things that a little baby should be doing at about four months old. It's good to hear. I've known this, but it's good to get to share this with our audience. And you started this by saying the etiquette around it, because this is a sensitive matter. And 
One thing that we didn't want to do was tell you, our audience, why Dan was away when we didn't have good news to follow at the end yet or that we weren't sure what how this was all going to play out. And so it was very interesting this past month as as Bill has been co-hosting and my father co-hosted. There were lots of decisions being made each week. Do we say why Dan's away? Do we not? Do How do we get into this? Is his personal private material how were you and Pooja thinking about it as you were thinking of sort of sharing your story of, of what has happened now in your life as parents? Our first concern and the thing that sort of was immediate in both Pooja and my minds was Anisha and Obviously. her safety and well-being. <laughs> yes. And beyond that, we, we knew that you were here <laughs> and that you were taking good care of things in Vermont at Emily Post. And that Thank was you. such a relief and a comfort for us oh, that, <laughs> I, frankly, I wasn't thinking about it a whole, whole lot. But good. as time began to pass and that, that mental space started to open up a little bit, my my thoughts were twofold. One was that there was what I felt comfortable sharing and talking about. Right. And then there was also the questions of Anisha's privacy. Right. And that this is however small and little and how much she feels like she's mine, yeah. that she's her own person. And how much I share about her life is something I want to take care with. So yeah. I really feel very close to our audience. <laughs> and our audience has been with me for a lot of big changes in my life. Yeah. It was about our second show that, that I proposed to Pooja. Yeah. And um, everyone out there who's been with us since the beginning or who has gone back and listened to the archive has has gotten to enjoy some of the great pleasures and joys in my life. Yeah, we've, cel- we've gotten to celebrate us. a lot through you. Yeah. And um, there are sometimes hardships and difficulty in life, and I don't want to pretend that those things don't happen also. So I, I want to share the appropriate amount about those things and feeling much better, feeling <laughs> like, like we're in a place where it's appropriate and safe to do that. I... I want to thank everyone out there for being there for the good times and for what I know would be your support in the hard times as well. So what a relief it is to be back in Vermont, to to be back at work, yeah, <laughs> to be right? back in a, a routine and to have some normalcy in life again. Last week was really your first full week back. You were mm-hmm. kind of back Thursday, Friday, the week before. And then but that was even light still. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, you're here. And you were like, oh, my gosh, I can be here. Well, and on either end of this unexpected sort of absence around a health issue, a family emergency, I was traveling for business. So it's been almost five weeks that I haven't been here in Vermont. And the 19th edition came came out out in the middle of all of it. It's been insane, like five weeks. Well, (laughs) all across the board. (laughs) For me, the experience has been remarkable. And this is where I want to also address another point of etiquette. I wanted to take a little time at the end of today's introduction, both to to talk to our audience, but also to thank you personally. I had the the great pleasure the last couple days of catching up on the podcast (laughs) and – um, it was really amazing. I had heard from the family that Billy had been doing a great job. My father, <laughs> I loved it so much on the show. My father listens to the show every week. He's, I love he's that. an avid listener, and he gave me reports <laughs> on how good Pooja sounded and how what a good job Billy was doing. And um, when Peter showed up, I, <laughs> I, I could only imagine because I know how close the two of you are. What a joy! What a what a pleasure it must have been to invite him into this world. Also, uh, yeah, no, totally was. And in the last couple of days, as I've had a chance to listen to that, all of my best hopes were confirmed. The show oh, was in such God. good hands, <laughs> and you did such a good job hosting and carrying the show <laughs> and the company and the business forward. And I wanted to thank you personally and the whole family for really 
supporting me in what was a really difficult time. So oh, thank you so, so, so <laughs> thank much. Thank you so much. I don't mean to get all teary on the show, but it was a re- like it is so hard when you're carrying everything and you know someone else is dealing with something so much more heart wrenching. And just so much more immediately difficult. I'm sorry. You're just going to have to deal with it. But it's like because you you can feel the weight of everything you're doing and you feel on top of it the worry and the weight of what someone you love and care about is dealing with. And it's just like this has been insane. (laughs) Just this month has been insane. And I can't tell you what it has felt like to have you back. I mean, you have to understand, audience, that like Dan and I work with each other in such an integrated way that it literally like was having half of me cut off and then you have to put it back on and replace it and deal with it and you're worried about it the whole time and just when you came back into the office and I know like the past like Thursday and Friday I think we spent all afternoon just like in your office talking whether it was talking about work or talking about the Boston experience and Anisha or whether it was just talking about life and catching up about life outside of all that because Raju had an event during this whole time too oh my goodness um it just was that feeling of it's going to be okay that I think wasn't present for like five whole weeks for both of us in different ways and I mean obviously you as a father much more intense but like oh my gosh having you back has just been so amazing and I'm so grateful that we run this thing together like it's so nice to have a partner in crime it was such a relief and it was so easy to let go of this because I do have such faith in you and I have such trust in you <laughs> and you. you did such a good job. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Oh, do you think that we should carry on and do a good job by answering our li- – I promise I will not blubber through this whole episode. But what do you think? I think we should get to some questions. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners 
that's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is all about answering your questions on how to behave. If you have a question, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question this week is about bike share etiquette, which is new etiquette. I mean, bike shares have been around for a while in many cities. There are different versions of it, I think. But from what I understand, you either have a key or a code or something that you type in that lets you take one of these bikes out of a rack. You go to where you're going and your destination usually has another bike rack somewhere near it. And whether it's a one-time pay or whether you have a membership to this particular service, there are different rules for how long you can have bikes out, how you return them, and all of that. So it's a new new etiquette that we're going to need to investigate a bit more. We would love your help with it if you use bike shares. Please write in to us. Tell us about your experience so that we can share it in our feedback section and eventually get a postscript on bike share etiquette. Our listener asks... Hello, posts. I've recently been faced with an etiquette dilemma, and when I was asking my husband about it, he said, Why don't you ask Emily Post since you're always talking about her podcast? I totally took license with how that question was asked. I was surprised that I didn't think of it myself, but I hope you can help me be as polite as possible in a potentially sticky situation. I don't have my own bicycle, and I don't really have a good place to keep one, so I've joined a bike-sharing program. Many cities now have bike rental spots. There are a few hundred stations and thousands of bikes around the city, and all I have to do to take one is put my key in the machine and go. If I have a bike out for more than 30 minutes, I have to pay a surcharge. But there are enough stations that I haven't had to do that yet, and I don't think it's likely that I will under most circumstances. If I'm coming up on my time, I just check my bike into the nearest station and then check it right back out again. The problem is that for some of the more popular stations, sometimes all the bikes get checked out at once or all the racks are full and there's nowhere to return a bike. For me, this hasn't been a big deal because I know where the next station is and tend to check in earlier than I need to. Sometimes, though, I ride my bike past a station where I was intending to check in and see that there are either no bikes left with someone waiting for one or one bike left with two people waiting. When this has happened, I've just ridden on to the next station. Sometimes, though, I have to check my bike back in because I know I won't get to the next station until after my 30 minutes expire and I start getting charged. In that case, is it rude of me to check my bike in and quickly out again if there are people waiting? I can see both sides. Does it make a difference that they are mostly tourists? I don't want to ruin their vacations, but I also don't want to be late to work. Please help. Cheers, Monica. I love this question. I know, right? And I was just staying down in Boston. Longwood in yeah. the heart of Boston, and there were these bike shares all around. Totally. So I was seeing them, and Boston yeah. is a very bike-friendly city. It is. So it's good to come home and see a question about the etiquette of this somewhat new territory. Totally, and totally. It's new territory, so I don't think the rules are written in stone quite yet. Yeah. I do think it's still a place where letting your internal compass, that consideration, respect, and honesty compass guide you, I think is going to be really important. I love that 
that was your mental image, like letting the internal compass guide you. And mine was, it's like the Wild West. <laughs> you know, shoot them up. Take what you can. No, sorry. Keep going. I, my note here is no rules, so courtesy rules. <laughs> I love that. No rules, so courtesy rules. I love that, Dan. In that spirit, I, I was thinking sort of for me, one of the first thoughts that comes to mind when you are in territory where where it is um, – Maybe a little Wild West is that there is a first come first serve spirit to to a lot of this type of etiquette. And in some ways, I'm going to let that core concept guide me a little bit. I do think that you being on that bike, having gotten down there and gotten it first puts you in the driver's seat. Oh. <laughs> I know. Terrible. 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 Chris is shaking his head over there at that one. He's like, oh, goodness. These posts and their puns. All right. But I do. I think that that that, that, that bike is yours. And when we start to get into the, the, the particulars and parsing the etiquette, I think that's going to help guide your decision making as you navigate some of the different particular scenarios that you're outlining here. Totally. So I'm always the person trying to compare new etiquette to some similar other etiquette in the world. And I compared this to taxi cab. And I was thinking, okay, you kind of, when you get a cab, you kind of like rent it for the time that you have it, right? You're paying for it. It's yours. Um, and you might have two or three people in that cab and you're making a couple stops along the way. And, you know, someone gets excited because they're standing on the street and they see your cab pull over, you know, even if the light's not on yet and someone's getting out. So they're even more excited. And then the door shuts and the cab drives up and you're going, hey, it happens sometimes. And I think the things a little bit like that. It's like you get excited, you see that person riding up, and then I would assume, you know, oh, I'm going to have a bike. Oh, no, I'm not. She's just checking in and checking back out again. Never mind. I, I just guess sometimes like it shakes out not well for the person waiting, right? Definitely. I like the idea that old rules can apply to new situations. Okay. Here's where I think those two things yeah. might not exactly line up. Totally. I, I think it's totally reasonable to ride up and see that there are people waiting yeah. and decide that you're going to hang on to that bike. I don't know if I would check it in and check it back out. Intrude, but, but otherwise she incurs a fee. That might be one of those times I say that's the cost. Okay. That the way this system is designed to be set up, you're meant to check these bikes back in every 30 minutes. And that's yeah. designed to keep a flow of bikes happening through the system. Yeah. So you, you're paying for that level of access and use. And that once you've checked back in, I think you sort of maybe – turn in your first come first serve and you step to the back of the line. I think it's entirely reasonable to pull up to one of those stations and say, boy, there's three people waiting for a bike here. Now's not a time I'm going to check it in. I'm going to pay my surcharge and and keep moving. Ride on. So you say take the hit financially. I'm curious if Monica pays a fee to even be able to use the bikes this way. You know what I mean? And because that would suggest to me that I, I wouldn't have a problem with the re-upping. I don't know. That's me. I Put me in that camp that I don't have a problem with the re-upping, but I think I would communicate that. And I would say, I'm sorry, I'm just checking it in to re-up my 30 minutes. You know, good luck. I hope someone comes along soon. I would I would feel confident saying that. But you you think, no. Yeah. This I is, I think, why you're talking new territory. Works. But I, yeah. I think that, that that's what the purpose of that 30-minute window is for. Yeah. It's that you're meant to use these things for short rides, to get around, to be sure that different people have access to hop on I'm and off. I'm hearing you now that this particular particular bike service is not the one to be needing to take more than 30 minutes with. Yeah, or if you do, you might incur a little fee that you need it for a little bit longer. You don't want to check it back in and get to the back of that line that yeah. keeps those bikes circulating among all the different people. And I, I don't think that for me, there's a big difference between whether it's a tourist waiting to rent the bike one time no, no, or no, someone no. Yeah. else who's paid for a key access. So I'm assuming I that's agree. a monthly or an annual fee. 
I don't think that you're going to tier the decision making based on that on factor. who is going to be riding the bike next. Right. I agree. I agree. But as a local, I think you can take advantage of knowing that at certain times there's likely to be lines. There's likely to be a certain jam yeah, <laughs> at certain yeah. stations that are in high demand and that yeah. you, you would know better than to, to take your bike by for a check in. out. I think there's nothing wrong yeah. with checking in and out. Yeah. To avoid that fee, if you're going to use a bike for more than 30 minutes, if there isn't another person already waiting. Yeah. Some people might say, oh, well, that's not an honest use of the system. I think that that probably is a totally honest use of the system. Yeah. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that practice as much as the not taking your place back in the back of the line. If well, you do. Monica, you have the cousins divided on this one. I think our main advice is actually look at the rules of the system you've signed up with, first of all, because if indeed the intention is what Dan is, is saying, that this company is basing it on this half hour window of time and the idea is really to be rotating and that's the real mission of this company, then they might have rules of etiquette around. They might not call them rules of etiquette. They might call them terms of use. They might call them guidelines. They might call them all kinds of things, but they're all etiquette. They are all etiquette. So... Uh, find out kind of what what this company had intended with this 30-minute window or something. Because like, I'm with you. I, I might not have a budget to be able to do whatever the charge is to have access to the key as well as the extra. And that might make me really question whether or not I'm going to, you know, put my finances before Dan's thoughts of etiquette or whether I'm going to, you know, uh, put the etiquette before my finances. I think that I would definitely double check the rules. I would double check when you go to a different city and you're using a different type of bike system. I'm very curious about how the different companies are setting up their guidelines and their expectations for how people use these and interact when using these. Monica, thank you for a really interesting question. And we hope that we hear from all of you about what your thoughts are on this question as well. Get off. I want to ride it. Oh, no, Jake, not my new bike. Did he hurt you, Raven? No, he didn't hurt me. But gosh, my new bike. Our next question is called No Gifts, Please, but Kind of Gifts, actually. Question mark. <laughs> Hi, Dan and Lizzie. You are both amazing, and I love the podcast. I have a kind of urgent question about my daughter's upcoming first birthday party. My husband and I have a tiny house, and it's already stuffed to the brim with stuff. We are trying to declutter, and I'm trying to avoid getting more stuff for both environmental and personal reasons. Would it be rude to request on the invitation that guests do not bring gifts? I have a college savings account relatives have asked if they could put money to for special occasions. And to be honest, that would be much more helpful the more toys she's going to ignore. My mother-in-law swears this is rude, but I feel it all depends on the wording. Please help me. First birthday blues. Well, first of all, yay on first birthdays. Congrats on first birthday. (laughs) We love that. And for living in a tiny house, (laughs) says the old cabin dweller, the old tiny house dweller. You're getting rid of your tiny house. You moved into a big house. Um, It's totally understandable that for a first birthday, you're not going to want physical gifts. We hear this all the time. Um, Actually, another listener had just written in asking about, do we have to do the gift circle? Like, come on, it's a first birthday party. And First birthdays are they are a little tough because the baby's still young enough where they don't really know what's going on, but they're still special and moms and dads want to celebrate and all the it's really the family that gets around and celebrates those first birthdays. And they are very exciting. And I know. We're gonna I have one in January. It's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> you're you're wise to be anticipating the enthusiasm of right. your guests. Um as far as the, the thinking behind the etiquette yeah. in this situation, you definitely want to keep the focus on the invitation itself and yep. on the good company that everyone 
everyone's going to be enjoying. Always, always. I did look it up in the book just for curiosity. There's no good phrasing for no gifts, but please contribute to a college fund. There is no like clean, nice, neat way of putting that on. And I wouldn't suggest that you do put that on an invitation. Cutting a guest list can be a very good way to cut down on potential physical gifts. I just want to throw that out there that you could instead just do your immediate family or grandma, grandpa, aunts and uncles. Like you could keep the guest list very small and then you don't even have to worry about it as an issue. Just another option. But when it comes to everything except for a wedding invitation, you can put no gifts, please, on the invite. It's totally okay. Absolutely. Wedding invitations, not okay. Birthday, shower, graduation. Retirement. Retirement. All of those, totally okay to write no gifts, please. But what you don't do is kind of do no gifts, please, but relatives, if you could do gifts for this. So... I think the advice that we're getting to here, Dan, let me know, is that you're either going to want to say no gifts, please, and just have that be it. And some relatives might call and inquire if there is something they could do or if maybe they just won't bring it to the party, that sort of a thing. So that's okay. And you could let them know, yes, family, it would be if you would like to make that contribution we talked about to the college fund, that would be great. And that's perfectly fine to have that conversation. But the other way you could handle this is to leave the topic off the invitation altogether. And that way, when people call to RSVP or call to ask what gifts might be appreciated, then you could let them know. You could say, well, we're really set on toys and books and clothes. We always are welcoming a contribution to our college fund. But beyond that, maybe you could just record yourself singing a lullaby or you could read a book on tape and give it to us. That would be wonderful. Um, Little things like that. I think it's really nice to have some suggestions that aren't physical gifts. Well, okay. Technically, I guess a a media file or an audio file could be considered a physical gift, but you get it. It's not going to take up space in your house. Some options other than the college fund so that it doesn't just look like the college fund is the only thing we're going after here. I think that's a good idea. I'm going to take this too far. I love it. No, bring a colored pencil. We're going to have a card there for people to draw on and write little messages. We're going to have a little remembrance book. Bring a sticker. Bring. I mean, you could think of ways that you could invite people to participate in a way that's going to create a keepsake or a remembrance item for your child. I love the idea of a digital gift, recording a lullaby or a message. I think those are all remarkable and nice options and alternatives that give people a direction to put that that positive energy. And my, my thought here around the advice had been very similar to yours, that yeah. the, the word of mouth is the way to get any sort of direction around gift giving out into the world that you or even very close yeah. family members or friends spread the word. can be invited to spread the word, but delicate an appropriate, ways. discreet, delicate <laughs> way. And I liked the scenarios that you imagined, the one where someone calls and asks yeah. or the one where, where there's it, it comes up more organically, more naturally with a chance for you to talk about it with with all the good intent that, that's here in the way that you present this question, it's hard to get all that into simple wording on an invitation. It is. And I will say that no matter how much you want to declutter your home, please be careful about putting that intention above and ahead of someone's desire to give your child a physical gift. At the end of the day, their generosity and their want is something that you should be appreciative of, even if it's not exactly the way that you would have appreciated a gift coming to your home. Prepare to acknowledge that generosity of spirit and receive a gift well. That was going yeah. to be my refinement I was advice say, also. Yeah, at the end, it's just, you know, like if it does happen that some people bring that physical gift, just accept them as Dan always says with the spirit of generosity in which they were given. Congratulations on your new baby. Yay! 
And we hope that the first birthday is a smashing success. This is one party that just has to turn out right. Well, the purpose of a party is to have fun together. I like this next question because it's about not wasting food. It's titled Doggy Bag with Everything. Hello, is it acceptable to ask for the remaining table food to be put in a take-home box? For example, in a Mexican restaurant, if there are chips and salsa left on the table untouched, is it appropriate to ask that they be boxed up to take home? A friend did this and I was surprised, but maybe I'm being too particular. What are your thoughts, Marilyn? Marilyn, my, my first thought, very sort of thrifty New Englander, waste not, want not. <laughs> that I love leftovers. <laughs> and takeouts and doggy bags. And what a shame to let perfectly good food go to waste. Yeah, because you know that restaurant, hopefully if they have correct practices, is not just putting those chips and salsa back into the main containers and then giving them to someone else. Knocking on wood. <laughs> Knocking on wood. <laughs> and absolutely, that yeah. once that food's been to the table, it's not going to be of use to anyone besides you later on. The restaurant is going to put it straight into a compost or waste bin. Yeah. So I say it's really okay to ask to take that food with you. The only situations where I'm thinking it's not okay is that sort of slightly more formal situation where maybe it's business and someone else is treating you to a meal. Ah, And you're generally speaking not going to be asking for a doggy bag or takeaway food, that you don't want to create the appearance that you're ordering extra so that you can bring home leftovers for tomorrow. And you're not stocking the pantry either. No. You don't ask to bring home the salt. No, I'm I'm not (laughs) gathering condiments up off the table. Although the salsa with those chips, it's the homemade salsa from the restaurant. Maybe you could put that in a little to-go cup for me. I wouldn't feel bad if I was taking home my tacos and I said like, hey, I love your house hot sauce. Could I have a little a little thing of that to go? That's like it's it's a part of that meal. It's not just the hot sauce sitting on the table at a restaurant where maybe it's not used in every dish. You understand what I'm saying? Am I making sense? Not only do I understand, I will tell a little personal story. Please. Recently visiting Los Angeles for business. Trip went great. Yay! (laughs) And um, getting Mexican food because I love Mexican food, Mm. particularly good Mexican food from the heart of the city of Los Angeles. And (laughs) I had a carnitas plate. And there were tortillas and carnitas and a little pico to go with that for the porch that I bring home. I was eating by myself. It was a huge plate of food and there was definitely enough to take with me. I wanted a little bit of that salsa. I wanted a little bit of that pico to dress up the carnitas when I got back to the hotel later on. So not only do I think it's okay, I found myself doing this personally (laughs) not that long ago. The refinement step, the little caveat that I'm thinking about here is that if the restaurant sells their salsa, if they have it available for purchase, that you just go ahead and purchase some or maybe take that with you, but also ask if you can purchase a jar for yourself. I love that idea. The one thing I want to end on is I do understand our listeners' surprise at, at this happening because it's not always expected. You don't usually take the bread from the bread basket home. You don't usually take the leftover chips and salsas home. But at the same time, it's totally fine to do it, like Dan said. Otherwise, you will be wasting food. So in some ways, it's actually really considerate to do it, especially if it's going to find a happy belly to be in eventually. But I think that no matter what, Dan, your point, as long as no one else is paying for it, as long as you're not gathering up everything, as long as you might even offer to pay for some extras, you are in absolutely fine stead doing this. Our next question has to do with wedding a la carte. Hello, my husband and I are attending a wedding where the ceremony is in one town in the afternoon and the reception is four hours later in another town. We are coming in from out of state and will be staying elsewhere, out of state as well. Is there a way to politely only attend the ceremony without offending the bride's family? 
I have been to another wedding where I attended everything as an out-of-state guest, but the activities were relatively close in nature and transportation was provided to the reception from the recommended hotel. There were also activities recommended to pass the time in between the schedule. Thank you for your consideration and helping with this situation. Kindly, Anonymous. Anonymous. I think this is totally not unheard of to want to try to do this. Not totally typical either. Nowadays, most people tend to go to both ceremony and reception. I just have to jump in and say I completely understand this impulse. Right. I I find myself fighting this impulse (laughs) with varying degrees of success about every time I encounter a situation like this. I I will even be at a wedding with multiple events all in the same hotel. And, and you're like, I don't want to go. I don't to even want to leave my room to go to this next thing. It's like, I just did that thing and then that other thing. And now do I have to go to this other thing? See, we're normal. Like, we have these feelings, too. We totally do. And while really recognizing th- th- this impulse and and genuinely having to fight it in myself and not always being successful, but generally, I, I want to encourage you to defer to that little voice in your head that I'm often hearing in my own head when I'm saying to myself, I would much rather sit here and watch more cable TV than go out and face people one more time. Oh, honey. I feel like I need to give you a hug and be like, it's okay. You're going to make it through wedding season. My secret antisocial tendencies are creeping out. Creeping out. She describes having been to other out-of-town weddings where things were planned. Points of interest were encouraged between the the ceremony and the reception so that if there is more than like an hour of lag time. People have an idea of what they could go do to fulfill that time. All kinds of different reasons for why a ceremony might be at noon and a reception at 6 p.m. Many, many, many. many, So don't try to question that. But I this is also why we advise couples to send out information or put it on their wedding website of things to do in between that time, points of interest, just anything that could help fill a stranger to this area, you know, fill the gap of time for a stranger to this area. And so I would really suggest that since this couple has not done that for you or you haven't found it on their site, that you do a quick Google search of the town where the ceremony is and a town where the reception is and just find out if there's is there a nature walk you could go on. I mean, it's enough time that you actually have time to like change into a different outfit and change back. Um, is there a picnic you could go take and just go, you know, bring like a blanket, drive around, find a nice field. This is totally you're hearing the Vermonter in me right now. Go you see know, a movie. Lay out, go see a movie maybe. But I'm thinking like do things that you have real control over. And that's to me going for a drive and exploring the area, finding that little cafe to go sit in or exploring a downtown area if there is one to explore. There are tons of, of very uh, small, inexpensive things that you can think of to go do that are very relaxing, that are nice, that could kill this time well and have you be able to attend that reception. All of that being said, if what you really want is to not go to this reception, you absolutely can do that. And you reply to the wedding invitation saying, we are able to come to the ceremony and we are so thrilled. Uh, however, we are not able to attend the reception. We hope that you all have a wonderful time and we will be there in spirit. Something like that to that effect. You can always elaborate on it. Um, but did you think you would you've been married? Would you be offended if anyone had sent you something like that that said, I'm not able to attend the reception, but I'll be there for the ceremony? No, not yeah. offended. Yeah. And I like where you're going of thinking about what are your baselines? What are your yeah. bottom line etiquettes? And I think that the way you word that good yeah. sample script is is appropriate. You okay, can good. always excuse yourself from a reception. You can accept an invitation to a ceremony mm-hmm. and 
that you are visiting from out of state. There are all kinds of reasons. I don't think you necessarily need to get into them. Oh, no, don't. Yeah. So I, I do think that's an option. And I remind myself that I don't have to do anything. And sometimes knowing knowing <laughs> those true. bottom lines can be really helpful for making it easier to then also listen to that other little voice and say, I don't have to go, but I do think it's nice to support the couple in different I ways. I think that while I wouldn't be offended if someone didn't attend the, the reception, yeah. I appreciate the people that do come to the reception with a spirit of celebration and really wanting to share in not just – um, being witnesses to the ceremony itself, but mm-hmm. to participate in the the celebration about that ceremony and about that event, and that that's a really special part of a wedding, also. And well, it can... think about how much planning you and Pooja did for your wedding, and you would tell me about it. But you've done all this planning, and it's so exciting. And as a guest, sometimes you forget how excited the host is for you to experience what they've put together. And mm-hmm. it's not just about sharing. The celebration with the bride and groom, but it's also about the bride and groom sharing this wonderful party that they've put on with you. And that that might tug at that little voice that says, find the way to kill that four hours in between and go to the reception. So as you can hear, Dan and I are very much so encouraging you to find a way to go to that reception as best you can. And if you really, truly can't, by all means, go to the ceremony and send your regrets for the reception. But do let the couple know as soon as possible because they are trying to plan for headcounts and catering and all of that. As a Final, Final party thought, thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little refinement Please. thought. You can always think of your attendance at that reception as something that you're going to keep short. You're going to keep short, keep sweet. You're an out-of-state guest. Mm-hmm. You've made a real effort to get there. You don't need to stay till 2 in the morning dancing. You don't right. need to be the last person off the dance floor. Sure. But um, you might even be the first person down the buffet line. <laughs> um, but I don't want to guarantee you, but I would almost guarantee your attendance will be noted. And if you can figure out a way to minimize the social cost for you or the actual cost in terms of your day the way Lizzie suggested, I think there are rewards to be reaped from that. Thank you so much for your questions. And please do send us updates and comments. Let us know how the advice worked, if you did something different, or if you have been in a similar situation and had another way of handling something that you'd love to share with our audience. Please let us know. You can write in to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Please, please, please call and leave us a message at 802 858 KIND. We love hearing your voice. That's 802 858 5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag. Awesome etiquette, so we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we love to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And Catherine wrote to us from Paris to add the Parisian perspective on restaurants asking for time limits on reservations, which we rediscussed in episode one. This is, by the way, starting to turn into like thank you notes and shoes on, shoes off, where it's like a topic we're hitting every like few weeks, I feel like. Um, But we rediscussed it in episode 141. Uh, Werner, our German correspondent, wrote to us and let us know a, a deeper version of the timed reservations that are being done in Germany. And Peter was on the show with us in episode 141 talking about how he couldn't believe that would ever happen in Italy. And um, I actually did just hear from Werner last night. He wrote as I was preparing this script for today. And he did remind us that, you know, hey, Germany is one country within 
Europe. And this was all very polite when you hear him do it, just so you know. But it was just a reminder that, you know, France and Italy and Spain are all going to have different ways of doing this. And there are collective European ideas and cultural aspects that move around. But there's also very individual countries in Europe. And it's important to recognize that they are going to be different if you're traveling all around Europe. So we did, after all of that, Catherine wrote to us. And Dan, I would love to have you take it away. You have been to Paris. I've never been to Paris. So I'm sure you will just be flooded with memory upon reading this. Catherine begins. Dear Lizzie, Dan, and Peter, I hope you are all well. I enjoyed hearing from Peter alongside Lizzie on episode 141 and wanted to offer some insights from Paris on the question of restaurant time limits. Here in France, food and drinking are taken very seriously in all contexts. I would probably write a whole book on these intricacies, but not right now. It is normal in Paris to consider that a restaurant, bistro, or cafe table is yours for however long you want it at any time of day. That might mean lingering for an hour or more over one tiny espresso, which costs just one euro, or virtually setting up home in a restaurant for several hours, including time for some heated political or cultural debate once dessert is over. Usually, serving staff will only bring the bill when you directly ask for it. If they bring it unsolicited, this is usually because it is the end of that person's shift and there is no expectation that you have to get up and leave as soon as the bill is paid. It is rare here to be in a position of having to free up a table at a specific time. This can sometimes happen, normally in extremely popular establishments where the diner would be aware of the particular high demand for tables. As the diner, you are always informed of this at the moment of asking for your reservation, and the slots are never less than two hours. Mm. With the increased prevalence of restaurant booking websites and apps, time slots in this context are becoming a little more of an option. But again, I have never come across a time slot less than two hours for dinner or 90 minutes for lunch. I think part of the difference is to do with the fact that Parisians would almost never even consider eating a dinner out before 7.30 p.m., and therefore the total amount of time the restaurant has to serve dinner is much smaller. Dinner reservations are usually taken at 8 p.m. at the very earliest. You are even slightly judged a little if you asked for a 7 (laughs) p.m. reservation. So there isn't a particular demand for tables to be turned over between two different sittings. If we do ever wish to eat an evening meal before 7.30 p.m., say if we are going to the theater, we would be more likely to eat a lighter meal in what is known as a service continue establishment. Here, things like croque-monsieur, toasted sandwiches, omelets, onion soup, and salads are available nonstop from morning until night alongside beers, simple wines, and coffees. In these kinds of places, there is no particular expectation on the consumer to order a certain amount or value of food or drink. Think corner brasserie. I hope this provides more interesting context for you on European dining. Having lived in the UK, France, and Germany, and having traveled a lot around the rest of the continent, I would say that the dining experience in each country is slightly different, even though we are all neighbors. That's part of the beauty of Europe. Best regards to you and the team, Catherine. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) Like, first of all, I totally want to just go be a Parisian and eat like in this style manner every night. Yes. The idea that dinner happens a little later and takes a little longer. So really, there is only one sitting for dinner. There's one. There's a certain number of tables at a restaurant, a certain number of people it's going to serve, and (laughs) you can pretty much count on it. No, I loved it. And I I just love getting the perspective. I love hearing from different cultures and countries on on what works for them, how they uh, enjoy this dining out process that causes us to ask so very many questions. Catherine, thank you so much. I hope that you will be our Parisian correspondent. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. 
please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. So it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a uh, topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript actually comes from Emily Post's Etiquette 1942 edition. So Dan and I receive boxes of books every now and again. You'll just you'll walk into the office and someone has mailed us their old etiquette books, whether a parent or, or someone they love has passed away and they're going through their belongings and thinking this could find a good home at the Emily Post Institute, or whether they say, I was just so excited and I wanted you to have this or if it would be of use to us. But we do actually collect a lot of other people's Emily Post etiquette books. And I always love looking through them because people will have tucked notes into them and they will have signed them. And you'll see maybe ownership of the book pass between people. It's kind of interesting. And sometimes they get inspired by what people are marking. And they had marked a number of pages in the children's section of the book, which I thought was really interesting. And one in particular on children's visiting cards. Now, many of you know that a visiting card kind of has your name and address on it, and you would uh, stop by someone's house and leave this card with them, or this card would get tied to a gift or, or something that you're sending over. It would have been a part of your personal stationery that you had heard Dan discuss so so long ago now. But Uncle Billy Uncle just Billy loved. loved. Yeah, I know. That was so much fun. And I loved all of our listeners who wrote in. So children's visiting cards. This is from the 1942 edition. That very little children should have visiting cards is not so silly as it might first thought be supposed. To acquire perfect manners and those graces of deportment that Lord Chesterfield so ardently tried to instill into his son, training cannot begin early enough since it is through lifelong familiarity with the niceties of behavior that much of the distinction of those to the manner born is acquired. Many mothers think it good training in social personality for children to have their own cards, even though they are used only to send with gifts and upon very rare occasions. At the rehearsal dinner of a wedding, the tiny twin flower girls came carrying their wedding present for the bride between them, to which they had themselves attached their own small visiting cards. One card was bordered and engraved in pink, and the other bordered and engraved in blue. And the address on each read, Chez Maman. And in going to see a new baby cousin, each brought a small 1830 bouquet and all sent their aunt their cards, on which, after seeing the baby, one had printed, He is very little, and the other, It had a red face. This shows that if modern society believes in beginning social training in the nursery, it does not believe in hampering a child's natural expression. I don't know why I attached to this little section, but I I did so like it. I liked the idea of both not hampering a child's expression while teaching them good manners. And I think that's like incredibly important. I loved hearing Emily talk about the idea of a child having his or her own visiting card and saying that this really isn't silly. This isn't affectatious. This is practical. And it's going to help your child. It's going to teach your child. It's just like when we tell you it's okay to handwrite the thank you note for your one or two-year-old, but have them scribble or draw or something. Put their stamp on it. Keep that part of them a part of this. In some way, sign it. In some way, invest just a little bit of themselves in that message, in that 
that thanks. Right? I love that so much of Emily's take on child rearing focused on not babying children, but respecting them. She has a whole book, Children Are People. And her philosophy was so you are your own person, just like you were talking about Anisha. Anisha's her own person. And just because she is a person I created doesn't mean that she's not an individual I also have to respect. And I think that that is so true all the way going back to Generation One, Emily, when it comes to our advice. And and it's why we encourage people to to have kids practice sending thank you notes, have kids practice introductions and greetings and talk to them, seat them at the adults table. Well, Billy was talking about his experience of writing replies, RSVP replies, handwriting them. And it clearly made an impression on him. I mean, he's remembering something that he was doing as a little boy and it it becomes part of his personality, his character. And so much of that character, I think, that I enjoyed hearing on this show came from – some of these experiences that he had as a child. And what I really liked about this particular passage was that it made me think of today's children growing up. You know, they've got tons of digital devices. And, you know, while the methods and the actual tools that that we use and integrate into our, our children's life have changed, the idea of where, when, and how to encourage your child as an individual, as a participant in society, in the culture that they live in, wherever that may be, is always going to be present and important and a part of etiquette. And I just love that. I couldn't agree with your final point more. There was an article that circulated around Pooja's family recently on social media about the mental health benefits of teaching children etiquette and manners. No way. Can we get that article? I'd like to. I will absolutely share it on the Facebook page. And it it really struck me because as a new parent, I I, I think about these things. And this was another relatively new parent within my family sharing what they thought was really good advice about the value of some of these disciplines in life and the practice of thinking about other people really having very tangible developmental and mental health benefits for children. Amazing. Amazing. So a little food for thought, a little blast from the past, 1942 etiquette and the importance of making sure your child's an individual. That couldn't be more relevant today. Right? <laughs> All right. Maybe so, but it's it's also complicated. Is it? What do you mean? Come on. We like to close our show on a high note with an etiquette salute about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Robin wrote in via our Awesome Etiquette Facebook page, and here is what she has to say. Spoiler alert, shoes on, shoes off comes into play. I would like to make an etiquette salute to my neighbors in the Stonehaven neighborhood of Charlotte, North Carolina. After mopping the wood floors in preparation for neighbors coming over tonight, I was thinking of your recent podcast revisiting shoeless households. Although my house is not normally shoeless, it's a rainy night and I was thinking that I should consider getting a small chair to tuck near the front door and basket of slippers, etc. per your recent podcast. It's not a big house nor a fancy neighborhood, but could work. When my neighbors, eight or so people, arrived, they opted to take off their shoes and one asked to borrow a pair of socks. I like to say that I have the best neighbors and this once again shows that it is so. No prompting on my part and no apparent discomfort on anyone's part. Don't you love that? It's just like when stuff works, it's nice. <laughs> well, and if you put that little chair out, you give just like the the, the, the brief, the slightest the, the little hint. hint or indication or just even open the possibility. It's amazing <laughs> how people participate. It's true. It's true. Oh, thank you for participating. Thank you for listening to our show. Truly, thank you for listening. It is so good to be back with you. I missed you all so much. And goodness, we missed you too. <laughs> also, thank you to everyone who sent us something. 
You can send us questions, comments, and salutes. We need your salutes. Please tell me you, you all are still seeing good etiquette out in the world. I will definitely say our salute supply is running dry, so send us your salutes. You can send them in via email, awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or by phone, leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter. I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And please help us out. Tell a friend about this show and ask them to subscribe. We would absolutely love to be spreading more good etiquette out in the world. And if you like the show, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thank you, Chris. You might call him an eager beaver. You know he would do his share of the work and help others who needed help. 